Welcome to the MSK Minute Podcast by Basics of Ortho, where the aim is to boost your musculoskeletal knowledge and improve your confidence in evaluating and caring for musculoskeletal conditions. Join me for casual discussions on musculoskeletal anatomy and biomechanics, various conditions, and other topics related to or being a physician assistant in orthopedics. We will also pick the brains of several interesting guests from time to time. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host and longtime PA in orthopedics, Jason Coggins. Hello again, musculoskeletal enthusiasts, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the MSK Minute. Today we're going to pick up, uh, as our last episode was, as a clinical review. Um, but before I get started with talking about the particular condition, I want to give a little history on it. And uh, today's condition, you'll probably guess from its initial describer's name, it is a very common condition that we see quite frequently in orthopedic clinics, urgent care clinics, primary care clinics. Um, its initial describer's name was Fritz de Quervain. He was a Swiss surgeon in the 19th century and first described a condition that came to be named after him as de Quervain's tenosynovitis. Uh, he first described this in 1895, and up until the mid-20th century, its first-line treatment was strictly surgical, um, which is interesting. But uh, let's get started talking about de Quervain's tenosynovitis. So what is it? Well, it is an inflammation or uh, chronic thickening of the tenosynovium uh, in the first dorsal compartment of the wrist, and specifically the tendons of the abductor pollicis longus and the extensor pollicis brevis. So again, that's the first dorsal compartment, uh, which is on the radial side of the wrist, um, just past the base of the thumb. And these two tendons kind of run alongside each other. And if that covering over those tendons gets thickened or inflamed, it can lead to this dequervain's uh, tenosynovitis. Or, um, and thickening of that tendon sheath. So what, what does this cause? Um, well, most patients that present with it present with a complaint of pain in that first dorsal compartment. Uh, it can be pain at rest, but especially uh, with movement and use of the hand. Uh, there may be some associated swelling. Usually when that's present, it is over that radial styloid uh, and those uh, two tendons we mentioned, the APL and the EPB. Uh, you may even ex have the patient describe some uh, triggering, almost like a trigger finger, where when they move their uh, thumb, uh, potentially their wrist and ulnar radial deviation, they may get a little bit of catching. And uh, one other telltale uh, sign when it's present, but it's certainly, I wouldn't say present in the majority of cases, is a bit of crepitus uh, with motion of the thumb or the wrist. And, and what does that feel like? It's almost like a creaking... Uh, sound, you can actually hear it in some cases along that radial side of the wrist. Um, this condition does tend to present a bit more in women than it does men, and it's usually a result of uh, repetition, you know, repetitive motions or use of the hand. Now, one other uh, demographic group that you can see this in pretty frequently 
is young mothers who are doing a lot of lifting of uh, little ones. Um, from an evaluation standpoint, um, you would see kind of what you expect based on the description. You know, all of their symptoms are generally along that radio aspect of the wrist. Uh, there can be swelling. So you would typically expect to have some tenderness along uh, that first dorsal compartment or the uh, tendons themselves, the abductor pollicis longus and the uh, extensor pollicis brevis. Uh, you may, you know, mentioned that crepitus or creaking that you can hear sometimes. Uh, you can feel that as well. It, um, yeah, if you imagine what the, the word creaking feels like, that's exactly what it feels like to palpation. Um, and then there is the uh, diagnostic clinical test, the uh, special test, the Finkelstein's test. Uh, and performing Finkelstein's, uh, one has the patient place their thumb in the palm of their hand and close their fingers around their thumb, and then uh, ulnar deviate the wrist. And when you have the thumb in the palm of the hand, it elongates those tendons on the first dorsal compartment. And then when you uh, ulnar deviate, it further elongates and stretches those tendons. So if there's significant pain or inflammation, uh, then that would elicit a considerable amount of radial-sided pain uh, with that maneuver. So what do you do about Dequerivane's tenosynovitis? Well, in uh, the beginning of this brief podcast, I mentioned that up until about the 1950s, um, Surgery was considered a first-line treatment for Dequerivane's tenosynovitis. And in the mid-1950s, um, there was a paper uh, written that uh, described successful treatment of Dequerivane's by corticosteroid injection in that first dorsal compartment. Uh, so ever since then, uh, conservative management started to be uh, performed a bit more, uh, specifically with corticosteroid injection. And then since the early 1970s, uh, conservative management of Dequerivane's has been uh, first line or primary. And as that's progressed, uh, even a more conservative approach has become first line in that uh, if someone has an initial onset of Dequerivane's tenosynovitis, first line treatment usually includes use of a thumb spica uh, brace that immobilizes the thumb as well as the wrist to give that tendon complete rest and immobilization along with a short course of an inset if appropriate for the person as long as they don't have any contraindications. Now the duration of the the use of insets uh, can vary by provider but uh, usually two to four weeks would be pretty standard and that can be topical or anti-inflammatory or uh, oral anti-inflammatory. If after adequate uh, time of immobilization and uh, anti-inflammatory use, symptoms uh, persist, then a second-line conservative treatment option would be that corticosteroid injection in that first dorsal compartment. Um, and then finally, if all else fails, if that corticosteroid injection doesn't give the person the relief that they need, uh, then surgical release of that first dorsal compartment and the uh, scarred or irritated uh, tenosynovium 
would be indicated. Now, I do want to stress, and this is from personal experience, before you have a patient uh, proceed with uh, surgical intervention, you want to rule out any other potential uh, cause of their symptoms. Uh, specifically, you want to make sure that their symptoms are not coming from basal or thumb arthritis or CMC joint arthritis at the base of the thumb. And clinically, sometimes that can be quite difficult because from a proximity standpoint, that CMC joint is quite close to um, that radial styloid where uh, the two tendons that we've been discussing get irritated. Uh, so from a clinical standpoint, palpation, you really want to be specific. Uh, if a patient is tender to palpation over that CMC joint, you may want to consider a diagnostic injection of the CMC joint before proceeding with uh, Dequerivane's release. Um, so just keep that in the back of your head uh, that if your Dequerivane's treatments uh, are failing, make sure that there's not anything else that's going on specifically basal or thumb arthritis. Um, that also brings me to say that generally x-rays aren't going to really show anything in the absence of trauma, uh, but sometimes there potentially could be a radial styloid deformity that may predispose someone to uh, Dequerivane's tenosynovitis, uh, or they may even have some calcifications of the tendons that can predispose a patient to having refractory uh, Dequerivane's tenosynovitis. So if your first-line treatment fails, get that AP lateral and oblique x-rays just to make sure nothing else is going on. So that concludes the podcast for today. I do appreciate you joining me to discuss Fritz DeQuervain's condition, and I look forward to having you join me next time. Thank you again for joining me on today's podcast. I trust that you have found it valuable to your learning and practice, and maybe even a bit entertaining. Please join me for the next episode of the MSK Minute by Basics of Ortho. If you have found this podcast useful, I would be exceedingly grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button and leave a comment. Also, please consider visiting and subscribing to the website basicsofortho.com to get the latest updates and take advantage of all the great ortho-themed video content, blog articles, and more. If you'd like to contact me directly, you can do so through the website or Jason at basicsofortho.com. Stay safe and see you next time.